Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are almost two weeks into the new season, the biggest overreactions and expectations in the MLB, plus how the trade deadline changes things in the NHL before the playoffs. And what does Jamal Murray's torn ACL do for the rest of the Western Conference? It's episode 20 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. And we are back on Thursday, April 15th, 2021, episode 20 of Let Me Speak. It's so good to be back. It was an unexpected two-week break because I unfortunately had to deal with the virus that's been taking over the entire world for the past year. Yeah, I had tested positive for COVID, started feeling the symptoms around Tuesday, Got the test. I actually had a, an invalid test, so I had to wait a little longer and go get a whole new test. I had found out early on that Saturday that I had tested positive. And so we've been recovered for about two weeks now. Still a little bit of a cough, but I'm up and moving. Definitely much better than it was two weeks ago. And this is one of the things that I definitely missed while I was in isolation. But we're back. A lot of things have happened in two weeks, especially the start of the MLB season. And we'll just get right into it because I had wanted to do a big MLB preview, but obviously we had had that taken away. So kind of we'll kind of do a little bit of a mix. We'll do an MLB preview and we'll also look at what's been going on for the first two weeks because I believe from today it's been two weeks since opening day so we're kind of gonna break this down division by division just see how everything has been going and maybe what to expect and obviously this is a marathon not a sprint so it's gonna be a lot of overhype a lot of overreaction so don't pin this down and and come back to me when it hits august or september and Obviously, we'll start in the AL East, and probably the biggest shocker has been the Red Sox, starting at 9-3 and three with the best record in the American League, and just, just the way they've been performing, I, I was very shocked. I did not expect them to be playing as well as they have. I mean, I might have expected a little bit of success, but to be the best in the American League, very much surprised me. I mean, especially the way they started, too. They were swept in their first series at Fenway against Baltimore. And now they've won nine straight, including that doubleheader sweep yesterday against Minnesota. I mean, they've got the best record in the AL. They're top three in the entire MLB with their record. And it's just because of their offense, the way they've been playing. They're second in the majors in batting average at 277 they're ranking in the top five in hits and in rbis and 
I am very surprised to see the Red Sox performing the way they are. But in terms of the division, I don't think they're going to be able to maintain this pace. I think the way things are looking right now, I really see Boston, New York, or Toronto as really really the ones who have the realistic expectations of winning that division. I think Baltimore, they're still too young, not enough talent on that team. And Tampa Bay, I think they took a step back. You know, they gave away their ace, Blake Snell. And they've still got a lot of missing pieces there. So really, Boston, Toronto, New York are the three realistic division winners that I see. And I ultimately think that New York is going to be able to right the ship. They're going to be able to find their mojo because they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now. Obviously, Luke Voigt, who had a great 2020 in that shortened season, he's going to help. Because, I mean, the team is, is batting 234. 234 for a batting average. That's mid-pack, 15th in the MLB. And that's a lineup consisting of Glaber Torres, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Hicks, Clint Frazier, DJ LeMayhew. I mean, you name it, they have all the pieces. And the fact they're only hitting 234, I think Voight is going to help that because then that gives you a lot of balance, 1 through 9, in that lineup. And not only that, but don't forget the pitching as well. They're dealing with a lot of injuries in the bullpen and in the starting rotation. Zach Britton, they said he's going to return in mid-May. And he's obviously your big setup guy to get them to your closer or Roldis Chapman. And the other thing is in the starting rotation. Obviously, it starts with Luis Severino. He's going to be coming back hopefully soon. But Garrett Cole just needs a ton of help. I predicted him to be the AL Cy Young uh, favorite for right now. Because, I mean, so far, 147 ERA. But look at the other four starters that are behind him. Jordan Montgomery, 327 ERA. Corey Kluber, 6.10. Jamison Tallon, 7.56. And Domingo Herman at an even 9. That's your starting rotation. You have Garrett Cole and everyone else. So they're going to need a lot of help in that starting rotation. And Luis Severino should hopefully fix that once he comes back from injury. So I think I think the Yankees will will find their they'll find their mojo. They'll get themselves at the top of this division. And then I think Boston Toronto that's going to be it's going to be really close, I believe, cuz I think Toronto like I said a couple weeks ago they have a ton of pieces on offense. They're going to be getting George Springer back from injury, but it's just going to be all about the pitching after Hunjin Ryu. That's really all it's going to be. But that's what I see in the AL East. Now in the AL Central, this was kind of an overnight shift for me, especially last night seeing what Carlos Rodon of the Chicago White Sox did, the near-perfect game. He was two outs away. Then he hit the batter, and then he eventually got the no-hitter. Because I initially had on in my notes that the Twins were just a hair better than the White Sox. But I'm going to change it, and I really think I think the White Sox are true contenders. I don't think last year was a big fluke for them in winning that Central Division and getting themselves into the playoffs. I do think the Twins lineup has a lot more uh, dangerous threats in terms of Hitters, uh, they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now, but they're going to be getting Josh Donaldson back. They'll get Andrelton Simmons back. But then everyone else you have in that lineup, Miguel Sano, Nelson Cruz, Byron Buxton, 
they've got a ton of pieces in the lineup. And I initially thought that Yerman Mercedes for the White Sox wasn't going to be able to keep up this historic pace, batting 485, uh, near 500 average, and the fact that Eloy Jimenez has been, is going to be out for a long time for Chicago. I think that was going to be the big difference. But just watching last night and with, with what Chicago is doing, I really like what they're doing. I, I really do like what they're doing. And I think their pitching is really going to help. I mean, they've got a tremendous look at look at the rotation that they have in their in their pitching rotation. Your your ace is Lucas Giolito, Cy Young candidate from a year ago. Then you've got Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, Rodon, who threw the no hitter last night. I mean, that is a great rotation to have, especially the way that they're starting. You've got the mix of veterans. You got the young guys. I like what Chicago is with that rotation. And then, obviously, their lineup is going to get better. They're going to get Tim Anderson back. You've got the reigning MVP in Jose Abreu. You have Yoan Moncada, Adam Eaton, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn. They've got a ton of pieces in that lineup. And really, it was overnight that that changed my mind. And I like the White Sox to come out of the Central Division. Although... I would not be surprised to see Minnesota. I think it's going to be one of those two teams. I think Kansas City, they're too young. I think Cleveland, you know, they gave up Lindor. I don't see them going anywhere. I like Minnesota or Chicago to come out of the Central Division. Now, in the AL West, I think that's a completely different story right now. And really, the big story is like this is that when you see the AL West, the way their standings are looking right now, you have the Angels, and then you have the Astros. It's pretty much this simple for LA. If the pitching can get better, then they can challenge Houston. Then they can challenge the Houston Astros, because I ultimately think the Astros are going to win that AL West division. I know they're going to have a lot of guys out because of health and safety protocols, but Taking that away, like I said, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And I like Houston. But with the Angels, obviously the pitching has to get better because no starter in their rotation has an ERA below 3.30. And that is going to have to get better. Going to have to get better without a doubt. And then obviously you lose Dexter Fowler with that knee injury about a week ago. That definitely hurts, but... I again, the Angels they have they have the lineup to do it. I know that for a fact. I mean, you've got Mike Trout, you've got Anthony Rendon, Justin Upton, Shohei Ohtani, which that's another thing. If Ohtani can be as hyped as he was when he came over here to the United States, then you might see it. Then you might see it. But the way this rotation looks at right now with Dylan Bundy, obviously Ohtani is going to be pitching a little bit, Andrew Heaney, Alex Cobb, just a couple of those guys, that pitching has to get better. It has to get better. But I I honestly don't see it getting better. I think Houston, they're going to come back. I think the Astros are going to be able to find themselves back at the top of that division. I think they have a great lineup, obviously, with Jordan Alvarez, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Yuli Gurriel. They cannot bail out the pitching every single time. Because, I mean, your ace right now is Zach Greinke. And he's got a 4.08 ERA to start. You're going to have to do a lot more than that. 
a lot more than that because that's your ace while you're waiting for Justin Verlander to come back from his injury, obviously getting the Tommy John surgery. But this this Astros team is just going to have to, we know they have the lineup, we know they have that, but Lance McCullers Jr. and all those guys in the rotation, they have to get better. They're going to have to get better because if that pitching doesn't do anything to improve, then we'll see a whole new champ in the AL West. Now, in terms of the National League, I think probably the most exciting division for me, not just in the National League, but in all of baseball, would be the National League East. Because, I mean, look at what these teams have done recently. I mean, you have the Mets making all their improvements. You have the Phillies. Obviously, they have a ton of talent. The Marlins made the playoffs last year in the shortened season. Nationals just won the World Series about two years ago. And then, obviously, the Atlanta Braves who are always going to be contenders. So this is probably the division with the most contenders, where it's really up in the air, and you wouldn't be too surprised to see really anything go down with that division. In my opinion, I think the two favorites are the Mets and the Braves right now. I think they're my division favorites, and it's really it's really difficult to tell because I think the Mets have the better pitching rotation, but I think the Braves have the better lineup and the way things are right now with the Mets at five and three the Braves at four and eight I mean three games that's first and last place right there and three games separate them so that's really the the big thing for me is that Atlanta they have a ton of talent in their lineup a ton of talent in their lineup I mean Ronald Acuna Jr. Freddie Freeman Dansby Swanson I mean I could go on and on Ozzie Albies for, for all that. I think their pitching, though, has a lot of questions. That's not the case for the Mets, though. That is not the case for the New York Mets. I think they've got a tremendous rotation. Obviously, Jacob deGrom is going to need some help, not just from his lineup and getting all that run support, because that's been basically the Achilles heel of his entire career, is not getting run support. But then you've got guys like Tejon Walker and Marcus Stroman and David Peterson to start for right now. And then you're eventually going to get Noah Syndergaard back when he comes back from injury, hopefully this season. So I like what the pitching rotation is done. I mean, DeGrom and Stroman right now have ERAs under one. And that's your top two pitchers right there. And then don't forget all the additions that they made. Obviously, the giant extension for Francisco Lindor. But you have to look at the other pieces that they got, like Pete Alonso, like Brandon Nimmo who's got a near 500 average to start the year. You've got Michael Conforto. I mean, they've got a ton of pieces. I think on paper, it looks like the Mets would be my favorites. But you got to remember, Atlanta's been very consistent for, for years. For years. So it's, it's really going to be a toss-up. I favor slightly Atlanta just a little bit because they've been doing it for the past couple of years. I think their pitching is going to have to get a little better, but... I think I'm going to favor the Braves right now in that NL East to win that division. And then I, I could easily see the Mets and then the Phillies probably for the wild card. That's what I would say is the Mets and the Phillies for that wild card spot. It would not surprise me at all. Now, in the NL Central, I think they've got a ton of contenders. I think I like the Brewers and the Cardinals to come out of that division. I know the Reds are sitting right now at 7-5, and five, but again, we're not going to overreact to the fact that they're tied for first place right now. But 
I think the difference is St. Louis getting Nolan Arenado. I think you've got two heavy hitters in that lineup with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Then you've got Matt Carpenter, and you've got Yadier Molina behind the plate. I think that's the biggest difference, what, to me, gives St. Louis the advantage in that division. I know the Brewers just, they're a little too inconsistent. Obviously, they picked up late in the offseason Jackie Bradley Jr., but I don't think that's going to help with Christian Yelich. I think they... Still don't have a ton of pieces. I like I just I just like St. Louis. I think I like their lineup a little bit better. And the the way their rotation looks, I mean, it's gonna have to get better because it's not exactly where it is right now with Jack Flaherty and Adam Wainwright and Carlos Martinez. That those ERAs are all over four right now. But I think they're eventually gonna find their way. And I think. I think Arenado and Goldschmidt being that one-two punch, that one-two combo is going to be the big difference for St. Louis. And that's why I think the Cardinals are the favorite in that central division. And I wouldn't even be surprised to see maybe Arenado in the top three for MVP this year. That would not surprise me at all because Arenado kind of feels like he's finally getting that chance to go win somewhere else. Obviously, the Rockies were good for a couple of years but they weren't you know serious contenders the Cardinals are serious contenders and I like them coming out of this central division over the Brewers and then over the Cubs I would say I think the Cubs they've got a lot of questions obviously they've had a lot of buzz about Chris Bryant if they're gonna move him or not but they've just got a ton of moving pieces right now I don't think you can take the Cubs and then really the the the, the unshocker for me is in that NL West division, the way it's looking right now. Dodgers at 10-2, and two, Giants at 8-4, and four, Padres at 8-5. and five. The Giants are surprising me a little bit to see where, where they're at right now, but the NL West to me is going exactly how it's expected. The Dodgers being at the top with all the pieces that they've had. I've talked about it every single time I've had a segment about the MLB talking about the Dodgers as the favorites and obviously they should be they're 10 and 2 right now they got the best record in the entire league and I initially thought it was going to be a two-headed race I thought it was going to be much closer than than that between the Dodgers and the Padres but the difference was when Fernando Tatis Jr. hurt that shoulder and it's one of those weird shoulder injuries where they say if you don't have surgery, it's going to continue to flare up. And I think that's really the biggest difference in what gives the Dodgers the edge, just having all that talent. I think the Padres are still going to be competitive. I think they're probably going to hang around most of the year, but I don't think they're going to I don't think they're going to overtake the Dodgers. I think I'll, I could still see them making the playoffs without a question and I just think I just think the Dodgers are are the favorite in that NL West. They got the pitching, they got the lineup, they've got the defense, they've got everything you're looking for. I mean, they're the reigning World Series champs for a reason. So it's totally unexpected. I think the Giants are going to take a little bit of a step back. I think the Padres will leapfrog them, and the Giants could they could contend for the wild card. I wouldn't be surprised for that. But just the way that division is looking right now exactly how I thought it would go Dodgers on top Padres trailing them just a little bit but they'll still be contenders and you know with only two weeks into the MLB season we can talk about this now but come later on in the season there's going to be a whole lot more 
to discuss in the MLB. we turn to the ice and look at the NHL and they just recently completed the trade deadline this past Monday and teams are starting to get accustomed to their new squads their new players and I just wanted to look really to see what teams made improvements if any and if that if it really changes anything in the NHL in the standings. And the the big thing I wanted to look at is what the Washington Capitals did. Because when you look at what where the Capitals are right now, first place in the Eastern Division, two points ahead of the Islanders, four points ahead of the Penguins, ten points ahead of the Bruins. They're trying to separate themselves, and they know they've got some tough opponents in the Central Division as well because we know that at some point they're going to face them in the playoffs, like the Hurricanes or the Lightning or the Panthers. But the trade that they made to get Anthony Mantha on forward and to work on those wings, I think is a great move for the Capitals. And I think it really separates them because they've got a ton of pieces at the forward spot right now. They've got a variety of lines that they can combine Mantha with, with what he's been able to do. You got his old teammate Nicholas Backstrom or Evgeny Kuznetsov at the center spot where you can put him on the wing. I think those are two incredibly impressive scorers right there for Washington that you can really that you can really combine together. And on on the wing spot, you can put him on the left wing and get uh, T.J. Oshie or Tom Wilson. On the right wing. I mean, that's that's a ton of pieces right there on offense. I mean, they are the second leading scorer, the second best scoring team in the NHL behind Colorado at almost three and a half goals per game. So I think their attacking offense just got a whole lot better with the improvement of Anthony Mantha. I think there's still a ton of questions with uh, the the goaltender spot, what are they going to do there? Obviously, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, if you're going to trust who you've got right here. And I, th- I think that's just, that's the big difference right now. That is the big difference, is can their goaltender play hang in the playoffs? That's going to be the biggest question mark, because I think they've got a ton of offensive weapons. Obviously, you've got Ovechkin and all those players I just named, but That's going to be the big thing for the Caps, is what is their goaltender situation going to be like? What's it going to be like? Because I think we know this Capitals team can score, but how are they going to be in net when they got to play defense? Because right now, when you look at the standings, they are tied for 19th in save percentage. And in goals allowed per game, they rank 14th at 2.91. Which is, which is good, considering, you know, the goaltender situation that they had. But I think the Capitals probably made the best single move in getting Anthony Mantha. I think they did the best single move and the best move of the deadline. Now, I think the best team who made a series of moves 
were the Bruins. And we'll get more into the Bruins in our Let's Get Local segment, but I think they made the best series of moves with getting a former MVP in Taylor Hall. And keep in mind, Taylor Hall doesn't have to be his 2018 MVP self. He just has to contribute to that second line and that third line because think of all of the weapons that they have now, including Taylor Hall with Marshawn and Bergeron and Krejci, just to name a few. I think they've got a ton of pieces. Then the defensive depth with Mike Riley, getting him because this, this defense has been decimated with injuries, and I think giving them that depth is really going to help. And then uh, getting Curtis Lazar, I think, is, again, another big thing. That gives your third line and your fourth line a lot of depth. Gives them a lot of depth. Got a great guy like Curtis Lazar who's really going to... I think the Bruins are going to get themselves back into a strong contender status because the story is the same every single year. The Bruins do great in the regular season, but they can never capitalize in the postseason. So I think it's really going to come down to the postseason play. Because I I see this Bruins team getting better. I think they can get better than their fourth spot right now. And I think, I don't think they can catch the Capitals. I don't think they can catch the Islanders. They can maybe catch the Penguins. I think, depending on the stretch that they go in, I think they might be able to catch the Penguins and get up to third at best. But I think I, I can easily see the Bruins getting back uh, getting back to that contender status and and teams really taking them seriously rather than you know just saying oh they got a regular season now they got to do it in the postseason because that's obviously going to be the biggest question right now and then finally the last thing I would say about the trade deadline is that the Maple Leafs made some great moves in that division of their can in the in the Canada division I like to call it not the North division it's the Canada division I mean getting Riley Nash and then the back end on Ben Hutton and David Rittich in net I mean come on that's that's some great moves right there and you have to look at the way that the playoff system is set up is that the format of the season will have a team from Canada making the final four the way the divisions are set up because all the division teams are going to play each other to start and then once you get to the final four that's gonna that's where you really get to see a bunch of matchups and I I really like what Toronto has done with with their moves I think that gives them a lot of depth I mean they've got the biggest lead right now in their division with a five-point lead ahead of the Winnipeg Jets I ultimately think that Toronto is going to turn out to be the favorite coming out of that division. I think the with Austin Matthews and all the pieces that they have in Toronto, I ultimately think that Toronto is is the favorite out of that division. And I would not be surprised if they get themselves into the Stanley Cup because I ultimately do think that they, they have the tools and they have the pieces, like I said, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Zach Hyman, Morgan Riley, Jason Spezza, just naming a few, TJ Brody. How about Joe Thornton? What if he gets himself a Stanley Cup before all is said and done? That would not be, that would sort of be a little Cinderella story right there. And I really, I really do like what Toronto did. 
And then one final team that I think made great improvements at the deadline were the Avalanche. The Colorado Avalanche got a ton of depth in Carl Soderberg. They got Patrick Nemeth and Devin Dubnik in net. I, you know, when you when you look at that that Western Division, it is so tight between the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, and the Minnesota Wild, and they all they all picked up some pieces. They all picked up some great pieces to improve their team. But Colorado, I think they're sitting themselves in first place right now. I think this puts them over the hump. I I do think it. I I really do because I think. Carl Soderberg just makes that team better uh, defensively. And just looking at already the pieces that they have, and Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ratanen, and just just adding adding Soderberg is, is already at the center spot is going to be absolutely huge because that, that gives you some depth at the center spot behind McKinnon, who's obviously going to be on your first line. Then you have Nazem Kadri, who's going to be either on your second line or your third line. And Soderberg, again, it's just all about depth for these teams making making these moves. It gives them depth. And I think all the teams that I listed, the Capitals, the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, and the Avalanche, I think they did a great job in improving their depth. And I think that's what's going to take them a long way. And it's a good thing that they made these moves now because the playoffs are right around the corner. And it's only a matter of time before we find out who are going to be the true Stanley Cup favorites. On now to the association and... There are a lot of big NBA stories going right now, and the first thing I gotta say before we get into our main topic is the sudden retirement of LaMarcus Aldridge. It's obviously a scary thing when we're talking about health and irregular heartbeat, so I'm wishing nothing but the best for LaMarcus Aldridge for his health, and he had a tremendous career. I I salute LaMarcus Aldridge, one of the more underrated players of his time. And now we're moving on to our main segment. Obviously, the big story in the past week has been from the Denver Nuggets and the loss of basically their second scoring option in Jamal Murray. He tore his ACL in the game against the Golden State Warriors. And a lot of people are wondering now what happens to the Nuggets. What what happens with Denver? Because the way that they're sitting right now in the Western Conference is they're sitting fourth. There, It's from one through eight. It's the Jazz, the Suns, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Trailblazers, the Mavericks, and then the Grizzlies. And then on the outside looking in, in 9 and 10 for that play-in spot are the Warriors and the Spurs. And ultimately, what I think is going to happen with the Nuggets is I think they could really take a step back. I ultimately, the way that this Nuggets team is formatted, I looked especially at the game against the Celtics where they blew that giant lead and were outscored I think it was 40 to 8 in that fourth quarter. I think that tells your story right there. Because Jamal Murray, not only was he a great scorer, he made impacts on the defensive perimeter. And if you saw what the Celtics were doing against them, they were driving to the bucket, they were getting shots on the perimeter. Tatum and Brown were making all of that. Kemba Walker, the the Nuggets basically unraveled 
And the way that their roster is set up, I don't think that they have the tools to replace Murray because you have Nikola Jokic, who right now is the favorite for the MVP. He's averaging 26, 11, and 9. But who else do you have for scoring? I mean, you only have Michael Porter Jr. averaging 17.5, Will Barton's averaging 12.5, and and then you have Aaron Gordon with 12 and Monte Morris with 10.5. I mean, I don't think you replace the scoring of Jamal Murray. Murray was averaging 21 points a game. And this injury definitely hurts them on the depth because outside of Jokic, who are you going to turn to on offense? Is Porter Jr. going to be able to have that big jump? Is Aaron Gordon going to have to get better offensively? Is Will Barton going to have to turn into Will the Thrill? I don't think that they have the pieces to do that. I I ultimately don't think. I think they're going to have to rely heavily on Nikola Jokic because they don't have really anyone else offensively to to help him out because look at look at the depth that they have like the way that their depth is going to look at right now your your starting five right now is Monte Morris Will Barton Michael Porter Jr. Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic okay that's 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 a fine lineup but I don't see anyone outside of maybe Jokic and Porter who can who can get better scoring. I don't think JaVale McGee is a scorer. I don't think Paul Millsap is a scorer. I don't think Monte Morris is a scorer. I really don't think so. So I think the Nuggets, I could easily see them falling back to behind the Nugget or the Lakers and maybe even the Trailblazers if if the Blazers can get on a bit of a roll. I ultimately think so because their score their number 2 scoring option is gone. That's a huge loss for the Nuggets in Jamal Murray. And remember what the Lakers have got going on. They're one game back, but they're playing without their two superstars, without LeBron James and without Anthony Davis. Those two are going to be coming back in a couple of weeks, probably to get their legs under them, to get ready for postseason play. I could definitely see them leapfrogging Denver because they have, in my opinion, a better roster constructed than the Nuggets do. I, I ultimately do, and you can't rely on Nikola Jokic for everything. I know he's a great playmaker, but we're talking about scoring and perimeter defense. I think scoring-wise, no one outside of maybe Michael Porter Jr. will be able to to step for, step up for me. I like Aaron Gordon, but I don't think he's that huge difference maker on offense. I, I like his energy. I like sometimes what he does defensively. He's a great finisher at the rim. He's improving his outside shot. But I don't think he's got the tools to maybe take that bigger step into turning into, I will be your number two. I will be your number three scoring option. And I will help this team get better. I think he does make the team get better, but I don't think it's the difference. I like... I, I like the Lakers to leapfrog them. And the, and the way the Western Conference is set up, I, I kind of think the way things are set up right now is ultimately where things are going to end up. I think the top 10 teams that you're seeing right now are going to be the 10 teams that make the postseason. That's, that's just me. I like the Jazz to finish in first. I think the Clippers are going to get better. I think they're going to leapfrog the Suns. I could see the Lakers finishing fourth. Um, like I said, over the Nuggets. 
I did say the Trailblazers could leapfrog Denver. I ultimately don't think that's the case because there are three and a half games separating the Nuggets and the Trailblazers from fourth to sixth right now. And then obviously Dallas is going to get better with Luka Magic performing at another high rate like we saw last night in that miraculous game winner against Memphis. And then Memphis in eighth, Golden State in ninth. Golden State could take a step back. I think maybe, if anything, the Pelicans could overtake them because remember, Golden State lost James Wiseman. That's their center right there. So that can definitely help New Orleans to jump up and get themselves into that playing scenario. But the way the Western Conference is right now, you know, the Nuggets were a title contender for me with a healthy Jamal Murray and then the moves they made. I think they took a step back. But that that's what I see in the Western Conference right now. I don't see any huge change other than the fact that the Nuggets are going to be taking a step back in losing Jamal Murray, and I think the Lakers will get ahead of them. But the good thing is the Nuggets are probably going to get into the postseason, and we're only a month away from from getting into the postseason action in the NBA, which means it's going to be a lot of fun to see how the rest of the season plays out. For all my Massachusetts listeners out there, it's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And obviously, the biggest story coming out of the New England region has been the retirement of, in my opinion, one of the greatest Patriots to ever don the uniform, and that is Julian Edelman. In a video that he posted to social media earlier this week, he announced his retirement because he just couldn't overcome his knee injury, 34 years old, and... Obviously, he just couldn't pass the physical. And, you know, credit to Edelman because many wide receivers don't get to their mid-30s before they drop off. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is close to retirement, and he's 38. He was still doing it out there at in his late 30s. So props to Edelman for making it this far. But before we get into the debate about the Hall of Fame or not, I just want to share my personal story about Julian Edelman. And he's probably been one of my favorite Patriots for a long time since I really started following this team and this is about 2006 this is right before the undefeated season where I really started to pay attention when I got old enough to understand this is a team that this is the team you can follow there's there's teams you can follow that's really when I started to do a deep dive into following all the Boston teams out there and I I was very skeptical heading into the 2013 season. This was uh, the offseason where Wes Welker left New England for Denver. And a lot of people were wondering, okay, what are the options at wide receiver right now? And Julian Edelman just, just proved me wrong. He proved me wrong that he could be a capable wide receiver. And then it was really the year after where I really grew fond of him. And I really began to love him because he just had toughness. He's the ultimate underdog, basically. I mean, this is a guy drafted in the seventh round as a quarterback being told to change the wide receiver from Kent State. 
This was the Kent State quarterback, and he got drafted in the seventh round as a wide receiver. And not only that, but as a wide receiver, then he became a punt returner, and he played a little bit of cornerback in his early years. I mean, who doesn't love this guy, Julian Edelman? I mean, like I said, the year after, 2014, which was when they won Super Bowl Forty Nine against Seattle, was where I really grew in love and I fell in love with this guy because it almost felt like everything that Tom Brady was throwing to this guy, he was catching. He had one of the most surefire hands. It almost felt that way in watching it. Every throw, he would catch it nine times out of ten. So he just had tremendous hands. And I think in in all the years that he's been a Patriot, probably my favorite moment had to have been the Atlanta Super Bowl. That that had to be it when he made that miraculous catch. And he's just an incredible, incredible human being. He, this is a guy who just loves the game of football. Kind of similar. This is very pretty much similar to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Dustin Pedroia when he retired, where he didn't get his farewell. He had his knee injury, and he was celebrated for having a tremendous career. But... Like I said, I think the Atlanta Super Bowl was my favorite. I love watching him mic'd up because you will hear some very unique things. You know, when he said, like, Lionel Richie all day long, when he's screaming at Tom Brady that he's too old, he's just, he's going to be missed, not only by me, but the entire region of New England. Anyone who was a Patriots fan in from 2010 to now, if you didn't love Julian Edelman, you were not a true fan of this team. Now, the question comes, is he a Hall of Famer? That's That's been the biggest question since Edelman's retired. And I saw something on Facebook which really hit me. It really hit me that if Sterling Sharp and Heinz Ward aren't in the, NF, in the NFL Hall of Fame, in the Football Hall of Fame, then Julian Edelman isn't in the Hall of Fame. And it's hard to say that he's not a Hall of Famer, but it's just one of those things where, you know, it's going to take a lot of time to see um, exactly if he'll get it. Because when you look at his numbers, his regular season numbers, not not great, not not incredible. But when you look at his postseason numbers, He's second all-time in receiving yards to Jerry Rice. And Jerry Rice is probably the greatest wide receiver of all time. And you got to remember, though, that the Patriots made the postseason almost every year. And Julian Edelman, I would say, only missed the postseason once in his career. And that was because of the torn ACL that he missed. But I, I think for right now... Right now, Edelman isn't quite a wide uh, Hall of Famer. Edelman isn't quite a Hall of Famer. He's definitely in the Patriots Hall of Fame, and I think that number 11 is going to be retired probably around the same time that the number 12 gets retired in New England because, I mean, let's face it. When you think of Julian Edelman, you think of Tom Brady, and I'm pretty sure when the time comes that the Patriots retire that number 12, he'll want to say, you know what, let's retire that number 11 too for Julian Edelman. So that that's really been the biggest thing for me is that he's just he's not quite a Hall of Famer just yet. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Sterling Sharp. 
of Heinz Ward. I thought he would make the Hall of Fame because he is a two-time Super Bowl champion. Edelman's a three-time Super Bowl champ, a Super Bowl MVP. But he's just a great postseason player, and you have to look at the balance between regular season and postseason. But I don't want to get too much into the Hall of Fame debate because I really want to celebrate what a tremendous career it's been for Julian Edelman. So I salute one of the best Patriots players of all time. Maybe the biggest fan favorite. Maybe the biggest fan favorite in the New England Patriots history. That's what I would say. Now, moving on to the Boston Red Sox. I had briefly touched upon them in the MLB preview segment in that it was very surprising to see them playing at such a high level with the best record in the MLB. And I really think all of it just comes down to some great offense. I think the the moves they made in getting Hunter Renfro, Marwin Gonzalez, I think those small moves right there are are absolutely ginormous for this team. And it wasn't really talked about as much when they first happened, but giving this team some depth along with Verdugo and Bogarts and Martinez endeavors, I think helps out tremendously. And not only that, but you've got your three, probably four best hitters out there playing at a lights out level, obviously with JD Martinez leading it. And then Xander Bogarts hitting 372 Devers, Christian Vasquez, I think those guys, remember, those are pretty much the remaining pieces from the World Series in 2018, that team. And I think they're they're much more comfortable. Obviously, they've got Alex Cora back. JD's got the video back. Um, that's really the biggest thing that I see with this Red Sox team is that their offense is really exceeding expectations, you know, with all the pieces that they have with the young Bobby Dahlbeck, with the recently signed Kike Hernandez. I think the big question, again, I'll say it, is with this pitching team, because Nathan Avaldi, he's been pitching great to to start his first couple of starts. But this is a guy who's had a lot of injuries, a lot of health problems. Can he go the full 162 is going to be the big thing. Can he go the full season without having to miss any significant time? That'll be the big thing. And then, obviously, the rotation behind him. We have to see Eduardo Eduardo Rodriguez get back to his ways. Got to see guys like Garrett Richards, Nick Pavetta, Martin Perez really just just have some quality starts. That's going to be the big thing. Quality starts for this team. And that that's just going to be the biggest thing right now is it's a good start for now, and they're probably going to be taking a step back some way, somehow. Can they maintain sort of that, not top-tier level, but just staying afloat, having that record above 500 and being that wild-card contender that I initially had talked about a couple weeks ago when I mentioned this team? But you got to be happy with the start that they're at right now. They haven't been playing some very difficult teams. I mean, the Twins have been their hardest opponent yet. They're going to get the White Sox this weekend. So we're going to see them play a lot more teams, and that'll really tell us, maybe not early on, like in these early couple of series, but once we get to maybe June or late May, that's going to tell us how, what kind of team this is going to be. That's going to be the biggest thing for this Red Sox team. And then another team that I talked about uh, earlier on in the show 
is the Bruins. And I talked about all their improvements. And this is really, it, it's going to be gut check time because they're sitting in fourth place right now. And they just dropped a game to the Capitals 8-1. to They beat Buffalo 3-2 in a shootout. But the schedule is going to get very, very tough. They got a back-to-back with the Islanders. They're going to play the Capitals again. They're going to play Pittsburgh. And they're going to play both New York teams once again to end their regular season. And like I said, I think the depth of getting Riley and Taylor Hall, I think that's going to help. But... This defense just has to take care of the puck. You can't have any careless turnovers, and you got to be able to help out your goaltenders. You got to help Vladar, you got to help Halak, and you got to help Tuka Rask, who's going to be coming back. Don't forget that. Tuka Rask is going to be coming back from injury. So that's going to be the biggest thing right now. And like I said, if they have a good stretch of games, they can get into third place and get past the Penguins. But it's going to be a lot of it, – it, they have the depth. We know they have the depth now with getting Riley and with getting Hall and with getting Lazar. I think that'll be the biggest thing for this team is having the depth and being able to continue to play at a consistent level because they can't have a bad stretch. They're only four points ahead of the New York Rangers. So if they have a bad stretch, they could find themselves on the outside looking in and not getting to the playoffs. So they've got to have they have to have a good stretch of games. Now, another team that's had a good stretch of games has been the Celtics. This is the best we've seen the Celtics all year long. All year long. I mean, they've won four straight, but not only that, but they just look like a they finally look like the team that had the ex, that some had the expectations for. Maybe not championship contenders, but they're finally playing well. They did have to go to overtime against Minnesota, but the stretch against Denver, the win against Portland, I think absolutely helps this team. And I think the team is finally finding their depth and everyone's understanding their role. Robert Williams finally gets the center spot. Jason Tatum's finally getting that scoring mojo back. And then you've got all this depth behind you like Grant Williams. I think there's so many like moving pieces early on in the year that now that there's no trade deadline, there's no buyout or anything like that, everyone understands their role. And I think that's going to be absolutely huge for this team going forward because they've got some tough games. They've got tonight, they're in Los Angeles to play the Lakers. Saturday night, they host the Warriors. They got to play Brooklyn. They've got to play Portland again. They've got to play Miami I think the schedule to end the year is going to get much better, and I think eventually they're going to get themselves into the fourth spot, and I think they'll leapfrog. They will leapfrog uh, the Atlanta Hawks in that fourth spot, and I think they'll get themselves into fourth place. But I really like what the Celtics have been doing so far. Even if they drop these games to the Lakers and the Warriors and the Phoenix Suns, I think as long as they're competitive, then your confidence can go up a little bit. It's still... To me, they're still kind of a long shot to win the championship, but to at least have a strong showing heading into the last part of this regular season and then into the postseason is going to be very much huge for this team. But there's just been a ton of action in the city of Boston, and we'll see if all four of these teams can continue their hot play.
And finally, we turn to our LOL moment of the week. And this one is not so much an athlete's fault. It is more so about just regular everyday folk because there's been a moment. It's been going viral for a couple of days now. And it's not so much an athlete that's the reason for it. It is just your regular average show, no pun intended, that is causing it. So this week's LOL moment of the week will go to Eric, Nora, and Dennis, the contestants from Jeopardy. Now, I don't know if you've been watching Jeopardy as of late, but Aaron Rodgers has been doing a great job as hosting. It's kind of funny because Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't have like that hosting tone and that voice tone of like where he gets so excited. Everything's sort of at a monotone, but he does have um, some very... He, he is doing a great job, I will just say. He's doing a great job at hosting. And there was a clue a couple days ago under the category of... I forget exactly what it was, but I think it, the category was about sports teams who have held titles for a very long time. And this clue was for $400. And it said, in the 1960s, these Midwesterners earned five NFL championship trophies. And obviously the answer was... Who were the Green Bay Packers? But what happened with Eric, Nora, and Dennis? These three Jeopardy contestants didn't have a single clue when Aaron Rodgers was standing right in front of them. And Rodgers had the best reaction. He just threw his hands out and was just like, Green Bay Packers, hello. And it's kind of funny that that he would have this reaction because all the reports have been about Aaron Rodgers not being happy with Green Bay and, you know, all of that. So maybe maybe this kind of fuels the fire saying like, okay, if the everyday folk won't know about my team, maybe I got to go to another team who knows me. But it was just very funny. And it was kind of funny afterwards where Aaron Rodgers was like to Dennis because Dennis had picked the category. It was like, Dennis, go again, not like I care. And Dennis just goes on because he doesn't want to feel the wrath of Aaron Rodgers because we all know what Aaron Rodgers is like when he's very mad and upset. It's it's not it's not fun to watch if you're on the other side of this. Just ask Mike McCarthy or Matt LaFleur or anyone who has felt the wrath of Aaron Rodgers when he hasn't been happy. He he loves to make lighthearted moment of this, but the contestant basically just moved right along. It's almost like he kind of forgot what it was he was like wait a minute what's the joke oh Aaron Rodgers is the Packers quarterback uh it was just very it was a very funny moment um to see Aaron Rodgers kind of play a little lighthearted that way and what was funny was that the next one he had picked the uh the same category for 600 and this one was about uh the Celtics they were talking about um this team I believe the clue said that this team reigned over the NBA from 1959 to 1966. And the contestant Eric said, who are the Celtics? And Aaron Aaron Rodgers was like, oh, you know that one. So Aaron Rodgers, he's showing that he can be a very fun guy. And that was really the, the big thing when I was watching Jeopardy! Because my family history is all about game shows. We loved game shows. Uh, when my mom's grandma was still alive... We would go over to her place and we'd watch Wheel of Fortune and then Jeopardy 
while we're having our dinner and it's just great game shows has always been very fond for me personally and to see Aaron Rodgers looks like he's really enjoying himself and I've I've just been very drawn to Jeopardy since Aaron Rodgers started hosting I started watching it a lot more often and really I should be watching other sports if I'm going to be talking about other sports categories and teams like that but all I know is if there was a sports jeopardy I would kick butt on that show and maybe even Aaron Rodgers would be the host but for right now Dennis Nora Eric you might want to pay attention to your football a little more because you never know when you're going to get a question about the host's team and you three have earned yourselves into this week's lol moment of the week So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak. <laughs>